Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. I hope you've all had a great weekend so far. Uh, yesterday, Lindsay and I uh, were at a wedding. In fact, that's not true. We weren't at a wedding. We were at a marriage celebration because they got married six weeks ago, uh, went on honeymoon, did all, their, all that, and then came back and came back and uh, <laughs> easy. Came back and uh, had this uh, celebration together in the New Forest yesterday. So we were with friends from Lindsay's University. And uh, we were catching up and having fun. There was games around the garden. We were reminiscing about all these embarrassing stories that we all have from university days and having a good time. And obviously, you're catching up on news, aren't you, when you've not seen people in a while? Uh, unfortunately, it's now over 11 years since university for me. Uh, I know. Pretty old now. Uh, and we're all, some of us are, are beginning to have kids and things like that, so it's, it's kind of this new phase. Anyway, we're catching up, telling our, our news to one another. And I uh, obviously have this big piece of news that most of you will know about, which is that we are about to go to Glasgow to start a brand new church. Yeah. Now, when you tell people that who don't know Jesus, honestly, it is like you could be talking about an alien invasion in another universe. Their eyes just glaze over, and the conversation that was fun and interesting, suddenly you have to fight really hard to keep their attention. Um, and I think it's because they've, they, their experience of church is probably not our experience of church. It's an experience of church that seems boring, irrelevant, insipid. It's just nothing about it that attracts them to it. And so you have to work hard to explain to them, no, it's exciting. There's so much more to it than you realize. We've been going through Acts, that's our current preaching series, and I'm sure if all their experience was was to read through the book of Acts and see the accounts of the early church, I'm pretty sure they would stop seeing it as irrelevant and boring. And no matter their opinion on who Jesus was and who these believers were, I'm pretty sure that they would see that that was a revolution. That something dramatic was taking place all across Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth as the gospel message is sent out to the nations. We're in Acts 5, 12 through 42 today. And Luke says in verse 13 that people didn't dare join this new movement. And even though the church was highly regarded, people thought it was just too daring to get involved. Yet, many joined them, it says. Because although it's daring and it's revolutionary, at the same time, it's irresistible. Because Jesus is at the heart of it. And so how do we explain this? How do we show this off? How do we tell people that there's so much more going on in church than just what people might expect? from going to Sunday school when they were young or whatever their church experience is. The word that Luke uses uh, for power, as the power of the Holy Spirit breaks out from the church and into the streets, is dunamis. And that's where we get our, our word dynamite. This is explosive stuff. And we, if we want to see people capture what the church is all about, who Jesus is, to start to see our faith for what it really, really is, then I think we need to see a new wave of the Spirit come in the church. 
we need to see this spirit empowering of witnesses, that's us, in Poole, in Bournemouth, in Dorset, the UK, and to the nations. That's what we need. So we're going to pray for three things this morning. If we want to be like this church, it's now 5,000 plus. We're going to pray for three things. One is this, miracles. We're going to pray for miracles, signs and wonders. Second is humility, that it's not about us. This is about the power of God. And for sacrificial courage, that we could be like the apostles, willing to lay our lives down because we know who Jesus is, and we know our future is secure, and we know that the power of the Holy Spirit is working in us. At the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Luke said, or Jesus said, Luke recorded it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And today we're going to see some of that flashing out. Uh, so let me pray. And then I'm going to read from the first chunk. We'll read it in three different chunks uh, in Acts 5. That's page 1097 in the Bibles in front of you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have sparked a revolution that the whole world needs. That it's not a revolution that just uh, happens for a time and is needed for a moment, but is one that is needed for every generation and every village and every town, every city, every nation that has ever existed and ever will exist. Thank you, God, that it's a revolution that lasts. It's one that goes into eternity. It's one we can trust. It's not like uh, putting up a Che Guevara poster in our bedroom. This is about the name of Jesus, who is King of kings and exalted on high, who rules the universe, who will forevermore, being displayed in his rightful place. And so, Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is here. Give us a fresh confidence in what you are doing. Would we get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing? Come, Lord Jesus, speak to us in power through your word, we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts 5, starting in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result... People brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. We had some friends with us uh, last week, Mark and Pauline, they were down from Glasgow. Uh, a few years ago, uh, they where they, they sensed God's call to go into an inner city part of Glasgow called Deniston and to help restore a Baptist church there. There was seven older ladies who had been praying that God would revive their church for years. And so these guys took on the call and went there uh, four years ago. And God's done some incredible things already. From those seven older ladies, there are now over 40 people who are meeting on a Sunday morning. 
and they're seeing multiplication happen. And one of the things that they were explaining to us last week was that they began at the end of their meetings just to simply ask people, would you like prayer? Would you like prayer? Simple question. And to their surprise, lots of people did. And so people started to come forward for prayer. And to begin with, the leaders were just praying for them. And then actually what happened was that kind of spilled over. And then the leaders were saying, well, we want prayer too. And they all started praying for one another. And they started to see some quite incredible things happen. So one guy who'd been uh, smoking for uh, over 20 years, and um, he smoked 20 to 30 cigarettes a day, trying to shake it for years, couldn't get off them. One prayer, not touched one since. That was months ago. Another lady um, asked for prayer who's got chronic uh, back and neck pain. And uh, they said, Look, we'll pray for you. Let's, let's see what God does, see if God wants to heal you today. Um, and she'd been housebound for quite a while. And so she wasn't able to get out and about. She wasn't able to get to her favorite spot. <laughs> Since that prayer, she's been able to get out, wander around a lock that she used to, to walk around. She's not perfect. She's not got her new creation body yet, but there are some healing, there's some healing going on in her body. One of the other uh, things that, that happened was a three-year-old boy had this rash. He'd had it for weeks, and the doctors couldn't explain what the rash was. And it just wouldn't go away. Whatever they did, it just didn't go away. And uh, so they prayed for him. And the rash went away. It's gone. God is doing these things today. This isn't just uh, something that we read about and go, wow, isn't that amazing? And then not apply it, not look for God to do the same things today. Amongst the people um, these guys have been in contact with in Deniston, this has been a, a real help to them to explaining who Jesus is. So the point isn't that the miracles isn't the miracles in themselves. The point is the miracles point to Jesus. The point is the miracles help us authenticate the truth. They help us to, to see that the gospel is real, that Jesus really has risen from the dead and that there is everlasting life available and that one day all of us will have our bodies healed. Now, some of you will be sitting there and thinking, well, I've been prayed for and I've got all sorts of ailments and different things that are wrong with me. But the point is, not that we'll all be healed necessarily today. You may be. It's a faith that God may do that. The point is Jesus. The point is that we're supposed to look to Jesus and go, wow, Jesus can do that now, and Jesus will do that in the new creation when he restores all things. Luke keeps emphasizing the parallel between signs and wonders and people coming to faith. It's a pattern we see throughout Acts. It started at the festival of Pentecost. The believers were obedient to what Jesus had asked, so they wait on the Spirit to come. They don't just go out there on mission without the Spirit with them. So the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, Peter, this guy who was bumbling and struggling to share who Jesus was before Jesus had risen from the dead, was now able to stand up and preach boldly before people he knew would want to kill him like they did Jesus. And then there's all these languages that start to, to um, be spoken out. And people understand the languages of other people who are speaking out, even though they're not from that region, they've never spoken it before. 
It's this incredible miracle that takes place. And that day, we see that 3,000 people come to faith. In chapter 3, the lame man outside the temple in Acts 3.6 is healed. And there's a drama after it because the authorities are starting to get a bit tetchy. The authorities don't like it when Jesus' name is being proclaimed, when Jesus' name is being put where it should be and toppling all the other names around about it. And another 2,000 people come to faith after that. You would think it would put people off when the authorities are upset, but they can't resist. And then there's much more to come. If you want to cheat a little bit, go forward to Acts 9. I think Acts 9 has the, the, probably the clearest examples. Uh, Aeneas is healed when the people in Lydda see him, they turn to the Lord. Then still in chapter 9, Tabitha is raised from the dead in Joppa, and it says many more come to faith in Jesus. Let's pray for miracles, not just because we want healed. Let's pray for miracles because we want to, people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we want miracles. That's our motivation for miracles. That's our motivation for, the, for praying for signs and wonders. It's really important to see that we do not think that miracles save people. It's not the miracles that do the work. It's, a, it's, a, it's all about Jesus. It's all about beginning a relationship with Jesus. That's what saves you. What saves you is Jesus dying on your, in your place on the cross and then rising again to new life and then receiving that life that he has won for you. Miraculous power does act as a wonderful authentication of that, but that's not the main deal. The main deal is a gospel. There's no doubt the working of miracles, signs and wonders helped people come to Christ. And that is what Luke wants us to see here. And we want to pray like we saw in Acts 4.30, uh, the, the people praying, God, would you stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders? Martin Lloyd-Jones, he preached in London's Westminster Chapel uh, from 1939 to 1968, and he said this, we can produce a number of converts Thank God for that. And that goes on regularly in evangelical churches every Sunday. It's good news, isn't it? But the need today is much too great for that. The need today is for an authentication of God, of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal. And this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us and filling us as he kept filling the early church. We need a move of the power of the Holy Spirit. To increase our effectiveness as witnesses today, we must pray for the Holy Spirit, Spirit to bring miracles. We want that truth to be authenticated, don't we? All right, let's move on to our second prayer. Pray for humility. So we're in verse 17, and we're going through to verse 28. When the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, 
and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, a full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by a high priest. We give you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. When I was uh, 16 years old, I got my first call up to our local rugby team's uh, senior team. And um, in our first game, it was going really well. We were beating a team who, to be honest, were going to finish bottom of the league, but it was fun. And so um, I found myself late in the game with the ball, clean through. I've got the ball tucked under my arm. I'm thinking, this is it. Here's my hat trick. Debut hat trick. Come on. I'm sprinting through, and I'm starting to think, I'm doing pretty well here. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty good. <laughs> and I'm running through, and I thought, who needs to- I don't need to hold the ball here. I could hold the ball like that. <laughs> Bit of showboating. And so I'm running through, holding the ball like that, and I get to just about under the posts. I notice out the corner of my eye that the crowd's going wild. The dog was anyway, maybe not the man. <laughs> and I go to put the ball down, get about here, <gasps> dropped it. So embarrassing. I, will, I never made that same mistake again. Never. Always score my tries like this. <laughs> I was never going to do it again. Sometimes pride gets the better of us, doesn't it? Sometimes power gets the better of us. Power in the hands of the proud is destructive. And a sure way of us to drop the ball as the church is to not humbly pursue what the Spirit is doing and instead believe the power intrinsically belongs with us. We will drop the ball if we start to believe that. We must constantly keep fixing our eyes on Jesus and have the Holy Spirit lead us, not us try and get the Holy Spirit to be led by us. Power in the hands of the proud is destructive. The religious order in Jerusalem were powerful and proud. It's a lethal combination. And so they were incredibly jealous of all the attention that Jesus' followers were getting. Luke tells us that they were jealous of the name of Jesus. 
Jesus was living on in resurrection power through the Holy Spirit that he had poured out on his followers. And these people were so jealous, so jealous of the church because the name of Jesus was being put in its rightful place and toppling them off. In fact, these were Sadducees. And Sadducees here are the the people who have got the biggest issue with them because resurrection power is bad news for them because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So their whole foundation is built upon the idea that they are right, that they have the truth. And so people's respect for them, uh, their identity is all wrapped up in that. But their problem is this, the truth wasn't what they were serving. They wanted the truth to serve them. And so therefore, they lost the truth. When we try and get the truth to serve us, we lose the truth. But when we serve the truth, that is when we're able to grab hold of what the truth really is. And we know that that comes through Jesus. It's easy to write off the Pharisees and the Sadducees, isn't it? I think often we read through the Gospels and we read through Acts and we think, oh, these guys are such idiots. How can they believe what they believe? How can they be so stupid? Look, it's right in front of you. I disagree. I think it's easy to be like them. And it's subtle. We must be constantly on guard to the dangers of our tendency for pride. All it takes is for us to start believing that we somehow are in control. A subtle shift takes place from us trusting God and following his ways to thinking the power is ours. Have you assumed that the power belongs to you over your life rather than giving your life wholly over to God? Is truth serving you, or are you serving the truth? Is there an area of your life that you see as untouchable? Oh God, you can have all of this, but just don't take this. This is mine, this is, this is my thing. That is pride. If we want to be spirit-empowered witnesses, we need to be willing to lay down all of ourselves to Christ because he truly is the king, because he deserves all of us, because there's not one part of us that we should ever think that we have a better judge on than God. The Sadducees get the apostles arrested and they're thrown into public prison. But later that night, God sends an angel And he breaks them out. And the the angel doesn't mince his words, does he? He says this. He says, go tell all the people about this new life. The apostles were not called to just do miracles. They were called to be witnesses, to live a life of mission for God, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to keep the main thing the main thing. This goes straight back to the great commission that Jesus has already given them. Jesus has sent his messenger, this angel, to remind them to keep that their focus. Be witnesses. Be witnesses of Jesus. The community of God was exploding out onto the streets of Jerusalem because the apostles were on board with the Holy Spirit. 
They weren't trying to get the Holy Spirit on board with them. So after the angel prison break, what did they do? Went straight back into the danger zone and preached the word of God. Preached about Jesus. Notice that this isn't false humility. I think sometimes we think that humility is all about thinking of ourselves as a lesser person than we are. It's about thinking of ourselves as people who can't do it. The Bible's idea of humility is that we submit to God, and in a great power, God works through us. And we can have boldness and confidence, not because of us, because God's in us. God is doing something in us. God is working in us. The Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and moves us to be great people, people who can do great things, not timid, but bold, courageous. That's true humility. True humility lays down our own lives so that Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit might use us in great power. The Holy Spirit does not serve us. We serve the Spirit. That is true humility. Okay, lastly, let's pray for sacrificial courage. We'll turn to verse 29, and we'll read through to verse 42. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Many of you have seen this film, Hackshaw Ridge. It's quite an inspiring film. It's about a conscientious objector in World War II out in the Pacific who uh, fights to be able to go out and go into battle without a weapon. And the whole idea is that he would go out there and 
help people, just rescue people on the battlefield, bring them back and get them me medical attention. He gets medically trained. Uh, and initially, it looks as if they're not going to let him do it. In the end, they do. And he saves many men in a very bloody battle. In many ways, that's the kind of thing we are called to. The apostles went straight back into the danger zone. Twice we see it in this passage. We are to go out into the danger zone to fight, but not fight with the weapons that the world might fight with, but to fight with the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us. As the apostles ignore the warnings of the religious elites and return to Solomon's colonnade, it doesn't take long before these religious authorities get wind of it and arrest them again. And this time, they get all the religious heavies involved. So initially, it was mostly the Sadducees. Now it's all of them. The whole council of Jerusalem is there. And they try to reason with them. Look, come on, boys. You've had your fun. Give it a rest, eh? Besides, you can't keep putting the blame on us. It's not like we were the ones that were really responsible for Jesus' death. I mean, he brought it on himself, didn't he, with all his troublemaking? Now it's time that you settle down as well. Take a rest, take a chill pill, just get in line. Life will be nice and easy if you get in line. Just do what we say, okay? The apostles' response to the council is like a rallying cry for every generation, for every Christian, everyone who's ever faced any kind of opposition for their faith. We must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. To the world, it looks so foolish. They're getting themselves in trouble all the time. But the gospel is foolishness to the world. When we stand up to establishment in favor of giving Jesus the authority that he deserves, it tends to make a bit of a stir. The authorities were furious to the point that they wanted to kill them. Paul said to the believers in Corinth, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the dynamis of God. Today in Poole, we might not be facing death for our faith, but we are increasingly seeing ourselves tagged with the weirdo tag most of you will have experienced that, I'm sure. We're seen as a crackpot for wanting to talk about Jesus all the time. We are shamed at school for saying sex is wonderful, but only by God's design in marriage. Not considered for top positions because of our biblical views. Seen as a bigot for trying to persuade someone with the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Embracing inconvenience and rejection is actually at the very heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. If we want to be spirit-empowered witnesses in our everyday life, we need to be willing to embrace awkwardness, inconvenience, and rejection. It's not a very cheery message, is it? That is the call of the Christian life. We need to be okay with being shamed for Jesus in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus 
is the one who we look to, and he is the one who was shamed, who was stripped naked, who was mocked, who was beaten, and who was nailed to a cross for us. He's our leader. He's the one leading us into battle. He's the one I will run after. He's the one we are called to go after in the power of the Spirit. Pray for spirit-empowered inconvenience. I love this quote by a, a pastor in the States called Reginald F. Davis. He recently wrote a book called A Dangerous Journey. He said this, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ and advance the kingdom of God, then you must embrace inconvenience. This inconvenient journey is not easy because it entails following an inconvenient savior, practicing an inconvenient love, drawing inspiration from an inconvenient Bible, teaching an inconvenient ethics, preaching an inconvenient gospel filled with an inconvenient spirit, living an inconvenient lifestyle, being an inconvenient servant to others, singing inconvenient songs and praying some inconvenient prayers. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, I've had to practice that quite a bit, Gamaliel, there you go, stepped in. He convinced the religious elites that it was too soon to kill them. So what happens? Well, at this point, they go back to preaching again. They don't stop. They go house to house. They just keep going, keep preaching as all these religious authorities are watching them. Now, you might say, well, did they, was that a calculated risk? Did, did they kind of know that they probably weren't going to get killed? Well, actually, all of them bar John, all of the apostles bar John, are killed for their faith. If you follow the history through, that's what happens. Paul says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To truly embrace the spirit-empowered life, we must be willing to give our lives up for Jesus, to take up our cross. Now, one of the things that's quite easy to miss in this passage is one little word, flogging. They walk away rejoicing, and sometimes when you read the text, maybe your, your eyes are just drawing to the rejoicing, and you forget that they're rejoicing for being flogged. Because they count it worthy, because God has counted them worthy of being sufferers like Christ. Do we look at it that way? When we're embarrassed because we believe in Jesus, because we have some kind of biblical view on something? Do we rejoice because we've been counted worthy of suffering? in the way that Christ has called us to suffer. When you graciously explain God's love to someone and they scoff at you, rejoice. You're doing the right things. It's good news if you're being scoffed at for following Jesus. Because we know that whatever happens to us, we have a secure future. Jesus has led the way to resurrection life. Whatever happens to us, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we will have a secure, eternal life with Christ. We can rejoice. The perseverance of the apostles is extraordinary. And they model a perseverance for us 
if we want to be spirit-empowered witnesses. Sometimes we can be fooled into thinking that when someone rejects us for our faith, that sometime, somehow we failed. Can I just say to you now, that doesn't mean you failed. You've not failed. You've joined with the millions of believers who have gone before you, some of whom have been killed for their faith, most of whom have been shamed for their faith, because you're following Christ. You're following Jesus. He's with you. He's empowering you. He's for you. Don't let that get you down. Pick yourself up and go again, just like the apostles did. Every time you feel shamed for following Jesus, pick yourself up again and do it again. Because that's what we're called to, and God is with us, and he is leading us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and pastor in Germany. When the Nazis were in power, and he vehemently opposed them, he stood up to them with biblical conviction from as early as 1933. So he saw it early on. He knew what was going on. And just before the war's end, he was killed in a Berlin prison. Before it, he said this, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. Let's run towards our enemies with good news and love. To be spirit-empowered witnesses exploding out of the church and bringing revolution in our everyday lives, we've got to pray for this sacrificial courage. We've got to pray for miracles. We've got to pray for humility. And we've got to pray for sacrificial courage. So what we're going to do now is, is we're going to do exactly that. We're going to pray for these things. It's all very well to, to stand up and speak about it. But I, I just want to invite God to come and do some of these things in us now, to change our hearts so that we might be people who, are, who find ourselves being sacrificially courageous, to humble us, maybe from a position of pride in one area of our lives, and to bring signs and wonders, to bring healings, prophetic words, encouragements. So why don't we stand together, and the band will come up. Father God, thank you that Jesus came to spark a, a revolution for every generation and every place in the world. And Lord, thank you that that included Poole in 2018. I thank you, God, that the Spirit of God is at work amongst us. And so, Holy Spirit, I invite you now to fall on us afresh and to speak with us, to bring signs and wonders, to speak into our hearts, to transform us, to help us to be more like Christ, more like these apostles who were following after Christ so wholeheartedly. Lord, would you do something in this room that breaks out, that, that overflows from here as the Spirit of God fills us. We pray that it would overflow into our neighbors and into our, our families and into our friends. Lord, would this happen in public because of what you do now?
come, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait on him for a while.